Welcome to Kashmir's on the Air, your weekly radio show dealing with kosher issues for the kosher consumer. And I'm your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashmir's Magazine. And I think we have a very good show tonight. Uh, some very interesting topics that came away my way. I'm going to share them with you shortly. But if you want to call in, you can do it anytime you want. 718-683-5858. Again, 718-683-5858. Or you could text us at 347-927-8398. Again, the telephone number, 718-683-5858. So today's program, I'll tell you just a few highlights that we're looking to talk about today. Number one, about uh, a gentleman, very nice, very interesting fellow, who um, who who was going to a uh, culinary class and how he was able to do everything al piyalacha. It's a very very interesting story. I have a story called Rest Stop, and a number of other things which I'm going to be discussing from the 250th. Yes, that's the number, 250th issue of Daf HaKashrus. Uh, my good friend Rabbi Yosef Grossman, who is with EOU, has been putting this out for 25 years. He does 10, about 10 a year, I think it is, and he's, he's got up now till 250. It's Eastern issue 250. Uh, I wished him, uh, you know, success until the, uh, you know, through, of course, the, the, the 500th, which is another 25 years. Should have, he should have the strength to be able to continue doing it. It's a wonderful work. You can get it absolutely free. And uh, to, if you contact Rabbi Grossman, uh, the way to contact him is you can dial the number. But I'd rather you email him and, and get an email set up because that's the easiest way and doesn't cost them any money. And it's quick and easy, and that's the best way. His um, extension is... Gross is an email address, I'm sorry, is Grossman, with two S's, Grossman, G-R-O-S-S-M-A-N, at O-U.org, O-U, O-U.org. Uh, so if you contact him there or his telephone, 212-613-8212, uh, he'll be able to set you up with a Dafa Kashmir. And we have some interesting stories from there. The one I like the best, I know this is, it's a funny one because it's uh, not really directly Kashmir, but it's... It's really what everything's about, and it's called Rest Stop by Rabbi Broderick. Very interesting. I love that. I'm going to read that to you, it's at least most of it. Um, Rabbi Gordimer has an amazing piece on, on yogurt, which I think I would like to do. And then there's the, they, they have one on copepods. It's so many years after the copepods, and, and I'm very happy they brought it up again and, that, and the, the, to show this clearly that the OU – is mockpit on copepods in the water that they have filters on anything that has uh, OU on it in the five burrows. So I think that's extremely important for everybody listening to know that the OU is mockpit on that. Uh, we hope to do also, Rabbi Bistritzer has a great piece on Bedikas Toloyim, which I hope to give you a little bit from. And then if we get to anything else, Matovu Matnoyim, who knows if we'll get there. <laughs> I hope I do what I, what I promise. But I'm tempted, I must tell you a quick story. I'm sitting last night at a bar mitzvah of a Talmud's uh, son. It's a, uh, it was a very nice, interesting bar mitzvah. And I was sitting with a Rebbe from a yeshiva and uh, somebody who's a head of a, a major organization in America. I'm not going to tell you the name. And we were discussing issues of chinuch, etc. And, and, uh, what came out, we were saying that how 
There are so many new issues that are going on. Young young people they have problems, and there are shkafa problems, and these problems, and those problems. And you know, our our chinuch system isn't hasn't caught up yet. And that was the discussion we were having. You know, everybody had can uh, chime in on whatever they want to say, and we were talking about the issues pro and con. And this young man who is a Rebbe in the, uh, one of the best yeshivas in, in the Brooklyn area, strongest yeshivas, biggest yeshivas in Brooklyn. And he, um, and he was telling me how, uh, no, we're, we're changing. Things are changing. I said, what? He said, Gateways had a program for a whole year training Rebbe's on how to answer the tough philosophical questions that the kids have and not to stuff in them, in the, not to push them aside and say, don't handle them. Not to say, we don't ask those questions. <laughs> not to say, not now. Call, I'll speak to you in the hall after class. Not to, not to push the kid away, but to, to entertain the question and deal with it in a certain way. And these people who are professionals in, in Kirov, uh, Gateways is, you know, an outreach program. And they have adult programs, etc. But they, but they, they couldn't. In, they were training these rebbies from a number of yeshivas on how to deal with the questions that come up in class and and how to get the right hashkafos across to them in a way that kids today could understand. Because they're not always going to be macabre what it says in the Rambam or what it says in another Sefer. You've got to give it to them in their language, in their style, in their needs, in their understanding, in their, men, in their methodology of thinking. You have to be able to come across right. So I was very, very impressed by that. And it, so impressed by it, I'm planning to write an article. Actually, I'm paying for the article. Somebody else is going to write it. Uh, one of my writers and I, I'm gonna, we're going to be researching what the yeshivas are doing for the kids today, as opposed to the <laughs> the articles that are attacking the yeshivas and saying they're not doing anything. Let's do for the positive. And those yeshivas who haven't got on the bandwagon yet, let them get on the bandwagon. And that's uh, that's what we're going to try to do. It's Hashem. It's a plan that I have. And I, I know who's going to write the article if they, if she wants to. Okay. So now let me begin with the first topic, which is uh, the culinary class. There's a, a nice fellow, he's a young fellow, he started a, he has a website, believe it or not, now don't laugh at this, Kosherology. <laughs> Kosherology is the name of his website. Young fellow works for the uh, Atlanta Cautious, uh Commission, the AKC, uh, down in Atlanta, and uh, he's... Like he's fourth generation southerner, not just American, fourth generation southerner, and he's proud of it. And uh, what uh, what I liked about it about this piece is that this is the first thing that I remember when I was learning Yeridaya that 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 was exciting. We were, we were learning Yeridaya by Rebbe Rav Asher Zimmons Zatzal, and he starts talking about these people who are going to uh, culinary schools and they're doing cooking because they're cooking meat and milk because even if you don't have any meat there and even if you don't have any milk there the kalim, the utensils have basar and chalav in it because they've used it at different times and and if they're doing milchiks now it could have fleshiks in there and it could be ben yomo because they have different classes 
and during the course of a day. And so you're using you're using the uh, utensils that the uh, company that's the, that the course uh, the the university or the the course uh, people who are running the course the school that's their those are their utensils. You don't have your own utensils. So we were talking about a number of times about how you have to avoid going to these co- these cooking schools unless you have a kosher cooking school. And it was very, very rare in the old days to have a kosher cooking school. I don't think they existed at all. Now you have, you have in Israel, you have here in Brooklyn, you have kosher culinary courses. But not everyone has everywhere. And this fellow, obviously he's not a kid. He's a married fellow. He's not a 19-year-old, and he's not somebody who's uneducated. Uh, it could be he's a rub, I'm not sure. Uh, so certainly he was... He was uh, you know, capable of handling this particular challenge. So listen to what happened. He went to the school. It's called Kennesaw State University. Now, I had to look this up. I couldn't imagine what a Kennesaw State University. It seems there's a city in Georgia called Kennesaw. And this is his the, the university. And they have a, a culinary uh, program. And he was the second group that had it. They just started their culinary program. And he just happened to look it up online to get it. And he's now in the bachelor's. He's getting his bachelor's. You hear this? In culinary sustainability and hospitality. What's he doing it for? Because in, in, in Kashrus, he needs this. The information that he's getting will make him very valuable to the cautious agency that he works with. And if he switches, I don't want him to switch, but if he, if he switches to another next organization or if he even goes on his own. But this is really uh, very important. I remember that when uh, that uh, how how many times the different cautious agencies offer some of their good people to send them to school. I mean, he may be, this may be paid also by the, the cautious organization. Very often they offer certain kinds of people who they feel will go to a college. And I know one fellow who comes from a Hasidic home, never went to college in his life, not a minute in the college, but he was, became a professional in cautious, very high level professional in cautious. And the head of the organization said, I want you to go to university. I want you to study this, this, and this. I want you to get a degree in this and this. It's important for the organization. And he fully paid for, and the man went. He's paid his time and his, and his studying and everything. And, he's, uh, and today he's considered to be very, very important in the cautious industry. You need that information. You need it whether you get it in the college course or some other way, but it's very hard to get it all just uh, from the cautious field. Uh, and, you, you know, when you go to the, the plants, you pick up a little here, pick up a little there, but when you're trained, you know when you before you walk in what you're to look for. It's a, it's a very, very big help. So he went to this Kennesaw State University. It says, uh, I'm reading some few lines, I, for one, have found it necessary to brush up on my knowledge of Torah prohibition of cooking meat and dairy products together and all of its intricacies. To my surprise, many of my instructors and classmates seem to appreciate learning more about the subject of kashras as well. Now, there's a halacha you're not supposed to teach Torah to a goy. So, I mean, Torah is one thing, but for the goyim to know the halacha, when we say halachas, we mean the practical applications of uh, of of, uh, of kashras that is important. Every 
in every factory, you must go in, in every business, kosher business, whether it's a restaurant or not, you must explain not just, you know, milchiks, fleshiks. You've got to explain what happens if, you know, you have to say heat, you have to say what things salt, how it affects things. You have to talk about the practical things, sharp foods. You've got to be able to tell them the basics about kashras. So he was listening to someone what happened over here. He took a, one of his courses, one of his classes, is in spirits, beers, and brews, which means schnapps and, and wine and, uh, you know, and, and whatever else, uh, uh, you know, uh, that have liquor in it. Uh, beers, I suppose. So he said that, uh, so this, this was a problem. He was most concerned about this, very concerned about this, uh, course. It's a history and production of distilled alcoholic beverages, gin, whiskey, beer, etc. So part of the class, as you could imagine, is that he's supposed to taste the beverages that he learns about, and then he's supposed to be able to analyze what he, t- that he tastes and discuss their unique ingredients and subtle flavors. He's supposed to be able to see what he recognizes and identifies in there himself and what he, what he, what he learned about it and how it affects him. And that, you know, you got to become a maven. <laughs> He's got, so it's not just a question of, uh, you know, the right answer on the, on the paper, whether, whether, whether it's a fill-in or, a, you know, a multiple choice. No, he's got to be able to express himself intelligently about these things. So he decided he's going to do some research, and he took it upon himself to do research, and he invested. To- uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I retract that. The 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 head, the uh, the teacher of the class. So he was given a list of rec- of of uh, beers. I mean, beers and beverages, and uh, that he was a, that, that would be kosher that this fellow could taste. So he would be able to taste this, uh, these, uh, these different beverages. He had to have those that were recommended and acceptable. So he gave a list to the professor. And then the professor went ahead and he Googled, etc. and he found a list on the Star K website, a list on the Chicago Rabbinical Council website, and the uh, AKC, the uh, Atlanta Cautious Commission's website, and he got these lists, and from all those lists together, he was able to get for this from person to taste only those beverages. Amazing. So some of them are pretty, you know, like sliver bits and so like that simple, but some of them are like lemon orange. They are, you know, real, uh, real good tasting and high quality, uh, uh, liquors. And, uh, and the class isn't over yet, so he's got a, got a lot more to take. But what was interesting also was that the, the people who were in the class, we're becoming aware of kashras. So the teacher, you know, listen, there's a, there's a non-Jewish fellow uh, teaching the class. He don't expect it to be a maven. Uh, so he, so he's telling that he has a certain whiskey that everybody's going to be tasting, and it's and it's produced in a sherry in a sherry cask. It's aged in a sherry cask. Cask. So one of the the students called out and said, Alex won't be able to taste that one. Because he already knew from sherry is wine and wine is this. Uh, he put two and two together and he realizes that this uh, Alexander Idor is not going to be able to taste this, uh, not going to be able to taste this beverage. 
So and then another class put that he went to is uh, World Cuisines and Culture. World Cuisines and Cultures. That's the class. So now it's a little bit more of a problem because here you're supposed to taste food. And uh, they make things which are trafe, and they taste them. So he, he's out of that. But they did go to restaurants. So for, because of him, they're going to kosher restaurants, <laughs> at least some of the times. And he went into one of the, what he calls the Atlanta's coolest kosher restaurant. That was part of his course. I, maybe it was paid for by the college. I guess so. And, he's, and, and he was very Im, Im, impressed that he was able to go in there um, with his other students in the class, all ordering food in this kosher restaurant because of him. So that was a little interesting. Now the next one, this is the best. But this separates the men from the boys. And it really is the reason that I'm reading this whole thing. Because what bothers me is that people were intimidated in the past if you remember the stories about if you don't come in on Saturday, don't come in on Monday. Remember those stories, right? So those stories exist in other ways today. You know, this is the class. This is what's expected of you. So some people are quiet by nature and are not innovative and they feel trapped and money was spent and I can't get out of this and they acquiesce. And nobody, no one from is in the room, so maybe they cheat a little bit. But that's what happens to, unfortunately, to many, many, many people. But this gentleman, Mr. Idor, or Rabbi Idor, I'm not sure exactly. So he, so he uh, said the following. He had a class on basic culinary skills. They got to do the food, right? Now, if that's where the boss of B'cholov would be, you got to make the food yourself. Not just taste and this and that, like notes and the, on the history of this. you got to do it now. So this is the one, this is the one class that he would, was most scared of and the most problems in it. But it turned out for him, because he is strong-willed and he got everything discussed up front, and it was all conditioned on, additional on that, that he would take the courses. So he got a lot of accommodations. And listen to what happened over there. On the first day of class, I mean, I hope other people can do this, because that's what I'm, why I'm reading this to you. On the first day of class, I koshered a set of knives and a couple of pots and pans and other basic utensils exclusively for my use, and they keep them separate from the rest of the class utensils. So he's capable of a koshering. I don't know if he did it on the, there or took it home. I, I, don't, I don't know what he did. I'm, not, I'm just saying that he did kosher it, and he was able to segregate it so it wasn't mixed with theirs because that's the key issue. And then instead of using any butter, he used oil. It's that simple. <laughs> it's that simple. Because you're Alexander Edor, and you put yourself out, and you straighten it all out, and you're not a kid, and you're not a baby, and you're not a weakling. But that's what you have to do. If you want to do things in the secular world for whatever purpose, and it's a, and it has a sensible purpose, 
And then you, yes, you can do things in the secular world, but you have to be on top of the situation. And this proves the, you know, the exception proves the rule. This, this proves that you can do it. You could be like this. It's not so impossible. Now, I don't know if some schools would ever let you do anything like this. That I can't tell you. But if not, then we have a real bus of a whole shayla. Can ask your rabbanim. Maybe they're going to be makel somehow with with Eino Benyomos, etc. But uh, this is what he did. But Rabbi, uh, yeah, I want to say that also salute to this to the school himself itself. Right. You know, it's amazing. I saw I, I saw many times that people give they, in, they, they give they, in, they, 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 they buckle they under, want to they give buckle under. Nothing they should oh, the school, know. Yeah. The, the school, yeah, the school, the, the professor, the chef. He said, if you don't follow right, my rules, right, 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 are you right. out of the class? Right, right, and right, right. this is it's happened a lot, yeah, especially but, in university. But I, I I think it's just unbelievable. This whole story, because I never yes, heard it's of a story really, like this. It's amazing. Never. So he's seeing, he says, I'm able to study for a degree in something that I'm really passionate about and to do, and it's close to home. And it's a school that's so accommodated to my religious requirements. It's truly the amazing work of the hand of Hashem. That's it. That he sees here that, and, and, and I, I think that, uh, many other people could, you know, could put this in their own life and say, it's not just a question of a culinary school. It's any time, you know, you're, you're going to work in a secular environment. A yeshiva man leaves at 30 or 35. He's got to earn a living. He's not going to be a Rebbe. They don't need him anymore. There's too many Rebbe's already for them. They don't, he can't get a job as a Rebbe. He, he needs the Parnassah, he's going to work, and right away he walks in, and the first time a woman extends her hand, the first time he's asked to lie, the first time he's asked to do something inappropriate, whatever it is, is he ready for it? This is telling you, this little story I'm reading to you is saying, you can prepare, think ahead, set yourself upright, Go into a situation in the secular world if you have to, and and you'll be able to handle it properly. I told this story on the radio, I'm sure, but I'm going to say it. It's a short one. In the, Back in the early 80s, um, the, 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 the alternate side parkings were three hours long, and they started at 8 o'clock in the morning. Uh, now it's like 9.30, <laughs> everything's changed and relaxed, right? But then the, those days it was, it was 8 o'clock in the morning. And I was living in the edge of Borough Park and the first street of Borough Park, to tell you. And the policemen started ticketing, or the brownies started ticketing exactly at 8 o'clock in the morning. And I was on the first street, and they, they nabbed me at 8.03. 8.03, I got a ticket. So, you know, I was a young guy. I said, I'm going to go down and fight it. I go down, and I come into the, this little office, which is the mostly courtroom, with one man sitting there and a woman on it and a typewriter, you know, typing the, uh, the notes of everything that goes on. And the, and the, and the fellow says to me, uh, you know, and shows me, I show it to him. He said, dismissed. He says, I never accept anything before 8.05. 
<laughs> that was before the, the before the mayor put in the five minute he, you know five minute heta for us. But it was it, it was uh, he said eight oh three. What do you mean Malik? You know what are you how are you going to know? You know and maybe who knows his watch and your watch. I mean it's getting ridiculous. You know so he he dismissed me and I get, but I'm re- ready to leave and the woman picks up her eyes and says, "Are you a teacher?" And I, in those days, I was a rebbe in yeshiva. I said yes. She said, maybe you could speak to those boys about how they act when they come down here. Oh, it hit right in my stomach. In other words, she's seeing the boys not acting appropriately when they come into a school, into a situation like this where they have to argue a ticket. They're kid giggling or this and making fun or not taking it seriously or whatever it is. Whatever she meant. I don't know. I didn't ask her the details. I got out of this and I said, I'll do what I can, you know. But it, but obviously, but the point is the old Boy Scout rule, be prepared. You got to go into these situations being prepared. And this fellow really did it. It's a great, it's a great article. I hope to print it because, uh, I, I, and I hope he invited for me also. I, I really was impressed by, by who he is and, and, and what he went through. And I'm going to go on now to, to my next thing, which is from the Dafa Kashras, the 250th Dafa Kashras, Rabbi Grossman's Dafa Kashras from the OU. And, uh, as we said before, if anybody wants to get it, contact Rabbi Grossman at Grossman, G-R-O-S-S-M-A-N, at ou.org and uh and say please put me on your on your uh, dafa kashras list and please send me the 25th the 250th uh, ka- uh, uh issue which by the way is big <laughs> it's much bigger it's like like about uh, i don't know five times as big 10 times as big as a regular issue it's big really great anyway i want to read this from rabbi broderick I just read this a few minutes before I came in here, and I said this, and I didn't even, you know, work on it. I just didn't write anything on it. I just looked, read it, and I said, wow, because this talks to us, and it's not cautious. It's about cautious, but it's about so much more. So I'm going to read it to you. Not all of it, part of it. He's talking about rest stops. On the, You see that Rabbi Broderick has to travel all over the country. He's always on the road for the OU. And when he, he thinks of a rest stop, he doesn't think about uh, getting a little nap. His main thing he thinks about is, Mincha. You see, traveling on the road so much usually puts me on a collision course with Philip Zibor. <laughs> In other words, he's not really able to keep up with a minion as much as he'd like to. In the summer months when Mincha is later in the afternoon, there are times I can make it back in time for Minyan. But in the winter months, quite often, I can be hundreds of miles away from the nearest shul. That's not an exaggeration. There are places in America hundreds of miles away from the nearest shul. When stopping at a rest area, the first thing I look for is a nice, quiet area in back where I can daven like a mensch with kavana, all while not getting in anyone's way. When I think back over the past 10 years that I've been on the road involved in Hashkocha work, it's missing so many minyonim that is my greatest challenge. Now you're going to understand a little bit what it means to be a mashkiach, what it means to give up something for us to keep kosher, and what it means to the man and why he did it. 
And that's what you have to understand. Then you got the idea of what is a mashiach. Then you got the idea of what kashrus is. Then we have to stand up and respect these people. The plain man who's out there doing the kashrus in the field. <laughs> I mean, I like the people who sit in the offices. They're the ones I speak to most often. But there's the people in the field and who sit in the, in the, in the plants and who, and who go and travel. These are the people that are worthy of tremendous respect because we live from the products of, of, their, of their hard work. So listen to what happens over here. I can't take credit. I, I'm sorry. Uh, I lost the place there. Um, uh, yeah. You see, when I was in yeshiva, I was that bocher who never missed davening. I can't take credit. I have an amazing role model. My father retired in June after teaching for 54 years in a yeshiva called Hannah Sachs based Yaakov in Chicago. And I can count on one hand the number of days that he missed Davini with a minion. That left an indelible impression on me. Since I'm young, I have always been at minion three times a day. That all had changed as my years of traveling for Ashkacha work pro- progressed. My workload became more demanding, and I needed to be on the road more and more. My sedarim suffered, and my minion attention, attendance dwindled. My daf yomi shir, which I gave every morning, seven days a week, 365 days a year for many years. That means Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur too, right? Suffers as I arrange weekly replacements. At times... Several days go by without me being able to daven with a minion. One thing that gives me comfort as I daven chakras in a hotel room in Freeport, Texas, catch a mincha at a rest stop in Wellington, Kansas, or daven mariv along the highway in the middle of York, Nebraska, is that Hashem has put me exactly where I need to be and that this must be a place that needs a tikkun with my tefillahs. It's as if these places have been waiting since the beginning of time for an infusion of Kedusha. How about that for right after Pasha's Bracious? Sometimes I wonder if anyone has ever davened there before. I accept with joy that Hashem has chosen me to do the job, to be the one passing by, to be in the right place at the right time. Often we don't see why Hashem puts us in a specific place to make an impact in the world and to make a difference where it's needed. Sometimes we're lucky enough to see the whole picture. I had that incredible experience recently. Now you're never going to forget what I'm telling you now. I'm reading you, reading to you. This is from Rabbi Ranan Broderick, who wrote a little piece called Rest Stop in the Dafakashas of the OU. Listen to these words. For the first five years we lived in Dallas, I was part of Dada, the Dallas Kolel. As a keeper of Kolel, part of our duties was to set up weekly small groups of learning in business offices. These are called lunch and learns. I had a weekly lunch and learn at a local real estate firm. The owner, Saul Warrench, had gathered up a few Jews, mostly unobservant from his office and business nearby. For many years, I would visit them weekly teaching the wisdom of Torah and trying to make an impact in their lives. One day, maybe an hour before my class, I received a phone call from Saul. 
he tells me that his friend, Jack Schwartz, is extremely sick and in the hospital. The doctors have given him barely a week to live, and his family was scheduled to be coming in shortly. He asked me if we could visit his friend and maybe say a prayer for him. Of course I agreed and prepared for the situation. I took a sitter that had the vidui for someone on their deathbed. I drove to Saul's office, picked him up, and together we proceeded to the hospital. Entering the hospital room, I surveyed the man in the bed. Although in his late 40s, he looked like an aged man in his 70s, his body was ravaged by the drugs he was taking. The only sound was the steady sound of the heart monitor. Mr. Schwartz's eyes were closed. He was in a coma and unaware of what was going on in the room. Immediately I approached Mr. Schwartz. I bent down and whispered in his ear, asking for forgiveness that my recitation of the Vidui does not guarantee his demise. I reminded him that nothing is impossible for Hashem and that he can save anyone even in the last second. Then I took up my sitter, opened it to the Vidui. I recited the Vidui slowly and painfully. I had experienced a lot in Kirov, but nothing had prepared me for this. As I neared the end of the Vidui, some part of me noticed that there was an increase in activity in the room. Doctors and nurses were entering and leaving. I was very focused on the reciting of the Vidui and tried not to be distracted by the background noise. As I finished the tefillah, I noticed that everyone had left the room. I turned to Saul, who was right behind me the whole time, and asked what, what all the commotion had been about. He turned to me, startled, and responded, Didn't you realize Mr. Schwartz just passed away? His words hit me like a ton of bricks. As I ripped my shirt, I realized that Mr. Schwartz had not been waiting for his family. His neshama was waiting for me to come say vidui so that he could pass on to his final resting place. Often at the end of a long day, far away from home, on a lonely stretch of highway, somewhere in the middle of Texas, I catch myself thinking that it would be so much easier to have a typical 9-to-5 job in Dallas that would afford me access to Minyanam and Sadarim. But then I think of the stories that I've experienced over these past 10 years, and I know the truth. The master of the universe places each of us exactly where we need to be every day. We each have very specific jobs that only we can accomplish. Every road that we find ourselves on is exactly the path we need to take to complete our journey. Rabbi Ranan Brodrick, rest up, Dafakashras, 250th issue. Beautiful. What can I tell you? What can I tell you? That tells me what explains to me about the thinking of a mashkiach, the mesiris nefesh that he feels, and the and the and the appreciation that he has that even though he has a very difficult job, and even though he has to give up what things that he considers to be very important, but he feels that he is doing a unique service, and that is the truth. That is the absolute truth. And if he wouldn't do it, who knows if anyone would do it.
And I, I like to quote this piece from Ramosha Feinstein, which is a short shuva he has. It's a small question. They want to close a small shul that's dying out. And everyone can go to the big shul. There's a big shul in town. This little shul, it's just like, you know, it's only getting a, a small oil and, and it costs money. And, you know, let's close it down. And, uh, you know, the community is sure it was for everybody. You can go over there. And Rabbi Moshe says, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't close the shul. He says, every shul, and I will add every yeshiva and every good thing, there's somebody that benefits from it that won't benefit from the other place. There's somebody who's going here specifically because it's this shul, maybe because it's right around the corner from his house, maybe because, you know, he likes that style of davening, or maybe because, you know, he likes the rabbi, otherwise he wouldn't, he's not impressed by anybody else. He won't go to shul. This minion will have, these people are going to come to this minion. They're meeting a need. And when this person goes into a town, and he's the lone Jew, and they see him, and his sits are out, and his yarmulke is on, and he does his Kiddush Hashem. Who knows? Obviously, he's there for some purpose. Hashem put him in that spot for that for a certain purpose. We're supposed to attract Gerim, and we're supposed to attract the Jews back. There's no question that these people who are most nefesh for our food are doing something, not only providing us an extra nosh, but this is their, but they're actually doing something for the world. Not all of them get it, but Rabbi Broderick not only gets it, he said it, he wrote it, and you can't forget it. You can't forget his story about, you know, about that vidui, and you can't forget his enthusiasm to give up his dafyomi, his kol years, his this, that, and and to meet the to help meet the needs of the kashrus of the kashrus community, beautiful kiddush Hashem, and of course of our yashkayach to to Rabbi Grossman who was who was doing a wonderful job by putting out this publication which costs nothing and is and is servicing the whole world. Uh, yeah, I hope he doesn't get upset that I send him people, but what can I do? <laughs> I I want to help everybody else. Now I want to go on to the next one, which is about yogurt. And I know, I know I'm going to get stuck there, so I hope I'll get through and have the time to do a little bit more with you today as well. The the yogurt situation is not an easy one. I'm looking at two publications. I looked at Rabbi Gordimer's article in the 250th uh, issue of the Dafa Kashras, page 42, and I'm looking at the same time Rabbi David Cohn's article from the CRC in Chicago, Givinas Yisrael on Acid Set Cheese. And I'm going to try to combine them a little bit, contrast them a little bit, give you some kind of an idea. Uh, Rabbi Gordimer is in charge of dairy for the OU. So he's talking about what he knows. And uh, and there's no nothing he could add to the, what he said there, but we have other things to just to put in and fill it out a little bit. Now, there are several reasons why you should consider yogurt as not a cheese and several reasons you should consider it a cheese. And Greek yogurt is different than regular yogurt. And there's a thing called 
Uh, let me get the right term again. Skyr, S-K-Y-R. Skyr actually is a yogurt, but it may have a different din, a different halachic status than yogurt vis-a-vis Venus Ako. That, nobody knows that. I mean, that's an article. It's in the other article from the, from the CLC. That's something people don't, don't realize. I didn't even know that Skyr was yogurt until somebody showed me. But uh, what? Yeah, but Skyr is is a yogurt, and it has a has implications, different implications for the Gvinas Akum problem. Now, Gvinas Akum is not an optional thing. A person who is makpid, not makpid on Chol of Yisrael, he eats Chol of Stam, does not. There's no, no heter for Gvinas Akum. Gvinas Akum is cheese that's made by non-Jews. It's a specific thing that the Gemara in the Vodazora Daflam at Hayam at Base forbids in Mishnah. And there's no way out of that. That's there's no leniencies, etc. No way. That's it. You can't you can't eat it. If it's Gvinas Akum, it's Treif Gomer to you. And it and, and Chazal, in the infinite wisdom, gave it a special class of Easter. It high up there. It's called Guf Easter. It's not the, it's not like just don't do it because maybe you'll mess something up, because something's gonna be wrong. No. They gave it a a halachic status. Where, for example, um, you know, it, I don't know if you know the halachas of sveik sveika. Sveik sveika means one doubt based on another doubt. So the halacha of sveik sveika is that if you have one doubt and then another doubt that's based on that one, so that's a double a double doubt in is uh, permits something uh, that even that that would have, has a Torah law. Now. It has to be built into it. The system is like, you know, one suffix based on the other one. I'm not going to explain it to you now. But it's, it's not everyone. There's a very, the biggest shock in the whole Shulchan Aruch is about this. Uh, what, what's fake Sveika? But I'm not going to go into that now. It's 36, I think he has 36 points. Um, so, so for, for us, we understand that Gvinas Akum is a real, real no-no. Now, Maybe it is Gvinas Akum, the yogurt, maybe not. So listen to what, how it's produced. In order to achieve the right balance of fat and solids and the desired product texture, non-fat dry milk and whey protein is added to the milk. And whey protein could be trafe because whey is a byproduct of the cheese-making process. So the whey could make it also right there. Right? So... Uh, that's that's a and and what they do when they add the whey, they it's, it becomes what they call a milk blend. Now it's not just plain milk; it's milk and whey. It's thicker. It's you know, it's the consistency, right? Balance of the fat and the and the solids. They want a certain kind of a milk, and they recreate it by adding the whey to milk. So that whey has to be kosher. So that's that right as a kosher is concerned, but not Venus Akum yet. Stabilizers are also added to, to, to yogurt. And some of the stabilizers come from gelatin. So that's another reason why plain yogurt, without any ashkoche, even if they didn't add uh, fruits and with gelatin, it may have gelatin just in making the yogurt because a stabilizer is often used, used uh, from gelatin. Now, I'm not going to go through the whole process of making it, the cultures are used 
probiotic cultures are used in some yogurts. Now, in in themselves, the the, the cultures, probiotic cultures, cultures are not trafe, but they can be produced in non-kosher environments, and and the source plants uh, require tight kosher controls and solid certification. So it's not a shoe in at all making a plain yogurt. Aside from the question about whether yogurt is gvinus akum. So buying, even if you don't hold this gvinus akum on yogurt, you can't buy a plain yogurt without a shkocha. It's impossible. It's it's just very complicated. Rabbi Gordon has this beautiful article. You want to see it? It's page 42 in the Dafa Kashras, 250th edition. Greek yogurt is a special problem. We're going to see why. Because they thicken it with... Uh, Instead, I'm sorry. They don't. They don't use. Uh, they don't use the, st- the stabilizers. Um, but it, there was a problem at, with Greek yogurt about being Venus Akum, which I'm going to mention in a minute. It's not in this article. It's in the other article. So is yogurt a halachic cheese? So Rabbi Gordimer says that the OU follows the psak of, of uh, Yosef Elio Henkin, which was one of the gedolim of the previous generation uh, in America. The only cheese which is uses enzymes to coagulate it, which was in those days rennet, is subject to the halachic stringency of gvina. But if it's something doesn't use uh, doesn't use this these enzymes to coagulate to make it a cheese, then according to Rabbi Henkin, it wouldn't be uh, a problem of gvina's akum. Cheddar cheese, mozzarella, feta cheese, parmesan, and all those use, um, these are rennet set cheeses. They, the rennet makes it the cheese. But the, the acid set cheeses, which is cottage cheese and cream cheese, according to these, according to Rabbi Henkin, should not be, um, a, a gvinas akum. And Rabbi Henkin had maintained that acid set cheeses are kosher so long as their ingredients and the processing equipment is kosher. So that is the position of the OU. However, there are many poskim who are machmir. And Rabbi Gordimer mentions a few, and I'm going to give you some more. He said as follows, Nonetheless, many poskim take the stricter approach that even acid-set cheeses are, can become non-koshuk minus akum. The Chochmas Odom and the Orach Shulchan held that way. And Igris Moshe hesitated to be lenient on this matter, which means he may have been lenient, but he was hesitating. Moshe Feinstein wasn't so sure about it. So, yogurt would it be uh, would it be Venus uh, Akum? So the question, in other words, we're not we were talking about regular acid set cheeses. So he wants to point out that uh, although the question may sound very strange, it's valid. Due to the fact that cheese curd in the rennet set and the acid set cheese is sort of a, what he calls a matrix of milk casein's protein, and the same thing is so by yogurt curd, so is, the, is it the same? In other words, are they the same or not? There's a machloikus about this. 
and uh, he gives you some sources, but he didn't tell you the actual sources, just tell you which books to look up. I tried to get those books before I came. I didn't have time, and I wasn't able to get them quickly, so I, I, I opted to take what it says in Rabbi David Cohn's piece called Gevinas Yisrael on Asset Set Cheese. Now, he has a different approach. CRC in Chicago um, basically is also in line with this saying it's not Kavinas Akum on the uh, on the acid shot cheeses, but yogurt is of a different nature, and Greek yogurt is a different nature, and Skyer is a different nature. So let's listen to what Rabbi David Cohn from uh, the CRC in Chicago said about all this. Quite a number of postkim hold that the Easter of Gvinas Akum includes all forms of cheese, included acid-set cheeses. Now, the accepted custom in the United States, which means the OUOK, OK, these organizations, is to follow the lenient opinion that acid-set cheeses were never included in the Gezeira. So that's the, the opinion that they have. But not everybody goes with that. So let me read to you who are the Machmirim. So you can get a you know a taste for the uh, the different people that were involved. There were six that he quotes: Shevet Halevi. That's the uh, Shevet Halevi is from Ravosner in Eretz Israel, and um, he uh, he said there's a machloikis between the pre Chodesh, who's who's Mekel, and the, the Radvaz and the Chassam Soifer who are Machmir. So the Radvaz and the Chassam Soifer hold that there's a problem here with these cottage cheese and uh, and yogurt, etc., etc. They would be a Kvinas Akum Shaila and needs Kvinas Yisrael. It means they need the Jew, uh, Jewish people actually making the cheese. The Kafachayi, the Chachmas Odom and the Orach Shulchan, which we already mentioned, they hold there's a problem with these acid-set cheeses such as cottage cheese and yogurt. And the Kafa Chaim suggests from the base Yosef that, yo- that yogurt requires Gevinas Yisrael. So the Kafa Chaim, the Svadik Poseik, he holds that, uh, that uh, base, base Yosef means that Maran, means the Mechaber, means that Yosef Karo should be Machmir in this. And he is telling you to be Machmir on the cottage cheese and the yogurt that you have to have Gvinas Yisrael, and you can't take the opinion of the national organizations in this country that took the lenient approach. Uh, Igris Moshe, as we saw, you know, has some issues, and if you want to look it up, it's in Orachayim, the second volume, uh, Memches. Now, this thing from Rav Henkin is interesting because it's not written down. The heter that everybody is, that the people are relying on is not written down. According to them and the, the people who were out in Chicago, they say that Rabbi Schwartz, who is the head of the uh, Kashvis, uh, of, of the CRC in Chicago, is the rabbi, head rabbi of the organization and who poskins the Shilas for them, he said that Rabbi Shraga Feivel Greenstein from Newark, New Jersey, who um, ha- had gotten it from his Rebbe, which was Rav Henkin. So it's it's transferred a few uh, people in between, but there's nothing in writing. 
So you have here a split on this issue of the um, uh, of whether or not there's a there's a problem with gavinas uh, akum on uh, cottage cheese and on yogurt. Now, what about Skyer? And what about the Greek yogurt? So I, I think I have a piece here on the Greek yogurt if I find it. But anyway, Skyer. The above issues are somewhat more complicated when dealing with Skyer, which contains the relatively small amount of rennet associated with acid-set cheeses, but cannot possibly take on its, its true identity without that rennet. So they, they use rennet in making Skyer. So it's a Shiloh from being rennet set, which means that it, it definitely requires Jewish production. But there's only a small amount of rennet put in there. But you wouldn't have the Skyer. It wouldn't work if you didn't put that in. So some are makele because of the small amount that's used, but there's a big issue because it's necessary. And when something is necessary, even if it's a small quantity, we have to take it seriously. Um, I, I somewhere have in here about about Greek yogurt, and I right at this moment, I'm not. It's not. It's not coming to my eyes. So I suggest you get the article. You can get it on the website of the Chicago Rabbinical Council, the crcweb.org. It's called Kavinas Yisrael on Acid Set Cheese. So that concludes that section. And I want to just, so we have a few more minutes, seeing that no one's called in, I'm going to read this piece about the copepods. This is the OU position on copepods. If you forgot what copepods are, let me tell you. In our water, the water from the tap, in New York City, all five boroughs, and I don't think that you should be listening to other people because I, this is the authoritative opinions that I have been told, that in all five boroughs, I know some people are going around saying it doesn't exist here, it doesn't exist here, but it, as far as we understand, it exists in all five boroughs, that you can find small, sort of kind of white or grayish insects called copepods. They're really crustaceans. They're tiny, they're white, they're dead. They're no live ones. Uh, they, you can, can you see them? Yes. If you had a whole bunch of them in water and you'd shake it up, it looked like snow falling down. That's how it clearly you could see it. If you, if you have one in there, it's going to be hard to find it because it's going to be, you know, a whole a cup of water. People who know how have seen them a lot could find them in a standing cup of water. Put a cup of water, Clear, clear uh, plastic cup, and you look at it from the right angle, whatever, you'll be able to see the copepods. How many copepods are there? How many people have it in their water? So that's something that varies, and it's not clear. I'm not, that's part of the discussion, and I'm going to read a little bit about that to you now. So Rabbi Gersten, Ellie Gersten from the OU, wrote copepods in New York City water. And I like the fact that it's being put out now because this is more than 10 years. I don't remember how many years it is since the thing started. And it started in my house. Not that, uh, that we had the copepods, but a friend brought them over and showed it to me. And I said, those are real bugs. And then as a result of that, he went further and uh, eventually hit the fan and everybody knows about it. Anyway, are copepods visible? They're obviously visible. I saw them. You would see them. 
it, they're, they're very, very visible. But they're small. They're supposed to be like one to two millimeters in size, which is kind of small, but very visible. Um, Rabbi Belsky, however, and I'm now just reading parts of the uh, the OU position because we only have four minutes left. Rabbi Belsky held that it might be not nearly nigh, it might not be considered visible. And he said, and he brings a proof that for a hundred years we've had these in the water and no one seems to be bothered by it. But Rav David Feinstein and Rav Herschel, Sch- uh, Herschel Schachter from the OU uh, disagree, and the OU is going with the Machmir approach, not following Rabbi Belsky on this one, but following Rabbi Schachter and Rav David Feinstein. Rav Belsky also held there was a heter because of what we call Meibiros, stagnant water. And the question is whether the reservoirs and the water system in, in New York City, whether they qualify for stagnant water or they're considered to be flowing waters like the, like a large, like a, um, like the, uh, uh, like regular flowing, res- flowing uh, waters are. So the uh, Rabbi Belsky held that uh, they should be considered meibiris and they should be permitted because there's a halacha in Shulchan Aruch in Yeridea 84.1 that says that the, uh, the that in although the in rivers and seas these bugs are forbidden, but in stagnant water they're permitted. These are that they were in the old days they trapped water in the, in these big cisterns, etc. Anyway, so that's the uh, one of the issues, and Rabbi David Feinstein of Shachter again a machmir on that, and the OU is machmir and did not go with Rabbi Belsky on that. Arcopods aberia is it an actual bug that's like a can't be bottled because it's so large you can you can't possibly um, miss it, and and, and it's uh, and it and it doesn't become bottled because it's 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 a whole thing, not com- it's something complete. It's called aberia, and it can't be bottled even a million against it. So on that issue, whether it's a birya, um, again, the, then here are some of the numbers. It seems to be that every block is different, and in some places it can consistently average 5 to 15 copepods per gallon. So that means a person in that house will definitely get it and should be getting some in every cup. Rav Belsky argued that since the average person will only find a small fraction of the white specks, there's reason to consider it Miyotsui. He thought the numbers were too low, but again the OU went with the Chumrah and the OU is Makpid. Rav David Feinstein uh held that the Kobopods uh constitute a birya and they can be filtered because they can be filtered out and uh with no way out of this. That's the position of Rabbi Feinstein, Rabbi Feinstein, one of the Gedolei Ador, and uh, that's the position the OU is following now. The OU is Makpit on the five boroughs. New York City water has to have fil- has to have filtration. I just want to uh, advise people that we're starting a new program, Imi Hashem, on Monday nights at eight uh, thirty. Another class I'm starting on Yeridea in Hilchas Basa Anybody who'd like to join, call us at 
800-800-8544. Again, this is Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashas Magazine, inviting any men who want to join a new class that we're starting in Hilchas Basa B'cholov, Hashem, next week, hopefully. Uh, but you have to contact us, 718-336-8544. The class will be at 1114 Avenue O, between East 12th and Coney Island Avenue, starting at 8.30, 9.45 is Marif. Uh, if you'd like to join our other programs, we have one on Wednesday night and Thursday night and Sunday night. So it's Sunday, Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday. We have Shurim and Yoradeya, and on, on, on Sunday mornings in a different building, I have Shurim on Hilchus, uh, on Hilchus Shabbos and on Hilchas Brachos. So if you'd like to join any of our classes, just call me, no charge for anything, 718-336-8544. And until next week, this is your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashas Magazine, wishing you a wonderful week.